0: Not just the pastor speaking and us listening, all of us are are playing a part. We're reading from the book of Romans, chapter 15, verses 1 through 14. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity amongst yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. Again it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you people. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations, the Gentiles will hope in him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I myself I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Please be seated.
1: Not sure what it is about me. It's electronic happenings. Um, maybe it's because this is too close. That may work. Anyway, uh, good morning again. Thank you, Godwin and Valerie, what a beautiful testimony of how God is operating in people's lives. I read a couple of stories this week that I found interesting. One was about a boy, a six-year-old boy, who was separated from his mother in a supermarket. I think mums may relate to that from time to time. So he frantically cried out, Martha, Martha, Martha! That was his mother's name, and she came running quickly to him. But honey, she admonished, you shouldn't call me Martha. I'm mother to you. Yes, I know, he answered, but this store is full of mothers. (laughs) The second one I read was about a young boy who was going down to the river for a little swim. As he was leaving the house, his father said to him, Be careful, Herbert. The river looks fair and sparkling, but there is an undercurrent beneath that, and it may prove to be too much for you. I have tried it, he said, and I know how dangerous it is. It nearly overcame me. Be careful, son, he admonished. Herbert went on and was crucified, or and was careful, for a time. But the river looked so smooth and peaceful and inviting. So he started to venture out a little further. His companions, who were swimming with him, also admonished him and said, be careful, Herbert. But he called back and said, I can swim, there is no danger. So he ventured out still further, but soon he was heard calling for help. The undertow had him. He frantically cried for assistance, but it was all in vain, and he went down. So it is with sin in the life of the believer. There are things that look inviting to us out there, and we believe because of our faith we are strong enough to venture out further and further. But we need to be careful because the undertow is there. These last number of weeks we have been studying, and I want to introduce my study this morning by saying this jesus said to us believers that by our love one for another the world will know that we are christ followers you all know that right you've read that you've been told that but i think somehow we get confused and we think that somehow if we just love the world out there enough they will know that we're believers That's not what Jesus said. That's not what Jesus said. He said, by your love one for another is how they will know that you're a believer. We've been studying the 12 commandments, or we're going to be studying, we've done five. And I believe these one another exhortations, if you like to use that word, are how the Bible is telling us to love one another so that we're visible when people come in to visit us. We have great greeters. I want to tell you, Rita and her team are marvelous. They love people when they come in the door. And people feel loved. But then they walk back out after the service. And I often wonder, did they see us loving each other in such a way that they would be attracted to stay here, I want to do a little review for you right now because we've been away from it for. Uh, I'll turn this on again, I always forget. What did we say last week? Technical difficulty? Ah, I've gone back. There we are. So far, we have looked at these five exhortations or if I, if I could use the term, the expansion of how we love one another. We are members one of another, the Bible says. That means that when you become a believer in Christ, you are connected. You're connected not only with the believers in this room, but you are connected with believers around the globe. You become part of His body. We, are, we then become devoted to one another. That's a step beyond loving. That's a sense of devotion. I want you, and I need you, and you need me. And then we learn, and as they said, to honor one another, to respect one another, to understand that we are all in a a movement of grace. And we honor one another. And fourthly, Pastor Ken, a few weeks ago, spoke to us about being the same mind one of another through humility. You know that the Bible says that you have the mind of Christ. You have it. You don't have to ask for it. You have it when you become a believer. And two weeks ago, we talked about accepting one another. The stronger brother accept the weaker brother, sister. The weaker brother accept accept the stronger brother. And so now we want to go on to our sixth one. Okay. I got to push the right button. I put a sign in here this button admonishing one another let me go quickly through a little preamble and then i want to talk about the biblical uh, understanding the guidelines i asked myself this question this week what is it what is admonishment what does that mean translators use various words to describe it paul uses to the romans in the passage we read this morning the numeric standard version which is the one i read reads to admonish one another other translations would use the phrase counsel one another still others would use the term correct one another the niv which we read this morning used the word instruct one another the greek word nothetio it refers, doesn't refer to a casual communication of normal teaching and counseling. It implies a definite exhortation or correction. And so Jesus, is, the Bible is saying to us that we need from time to time to admonish one another, that we need to correct one another. Now remember, let us remember that the Bible is not talking here in these passages of scriptures or in these exhortations of what we should do with the world out there. It's what we should do with our community here. And so as believers in Christ, Christ is calling us from time to time to, to correct one another. And it's, it's a pilgrimage. If we're learning to love one another as the exhortations explain, Members, devoted, honor, accept, be of the same mind, it becomes natural that we want to help our brothers. Someone spoke into your life for you even to be a Christian. Someone spoke into your life. And these exhortations are given to us as believers to speak into each other's lives as a body. So that's the first question I asked myself. The second one was what makes me competent? To admonish somebody. What right do I have to admonish somebody? Well, let me read again from our passage of scripture this morning. uh, Romans 15, verse 14. Paul says of the Roman church, of the Roman believer, of the Roman believer, and concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced. That you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. If we are growing in Jesus, if our personal growth in Jesus on an ongoing daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis, it means that our bank account of our life is getting filled with more and more goodness. And because we are being filled with more and more goodness, Paul says to the Romans who were in that spot, I'm confident because of that goodness that you're finding in your maturity as a Christian, you can admonish one another because you will do it out of goodness. And the second thing he says, not that they're full of goodness, but he goes on to say that I can't even get my papers apart they are complete in knowledge there we go they are complete in knowledge so what is admonishment and why are we instructed to do it one because if we're growing in jesus we become filled with goodness and we become filled with his knowledge. I read this quote. Paul said, one writer said, Paul meant they were, though they weren't perfect, they were mature enough to make sure they had removed the plank from their own eyes before they tried to take out the sada speck from someone else's eyes. We need to understand That if we are growing in Christ, we will begin to correct one another. We're not correcting the world. We're correcting each other so that we become more worthy in our walk with God. So we do gain that knowledge. And how do we gain it? You hear it from me every week. This is the book of knowledge. This is the book of completeness. If we're failing to daily dig into this book, our knowledge is weak, and we begin to correct one another in the wrong way. If you're not growing in Jesus, your ability to even see someone who needs correction will be weakened But let's go on to the guidelines quickly. Let's look at the guidelines, some biblical guidelines that I believe teaches us about correctly admonishing one another. First, admonishment must be done with deep concern and love. Admonishment must be done. Paul actually shows us this principle in action. When he, went with the, when he met with the Ephesian elders on his way to Jerusalem. He exhorted them to be on guard against false teachers. I don't have it up there, but Acts, the book of Acts, whoops, 20 verse 31 reads this. Therefore be on the alert remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each of you with tears. I did not cease to admonish each of you with tears. What is Paul saying? He's saying that you cannot admonish if you don't truly love, if you're not truly deeply concerned. I'm afraid sometimes, as believers, we jump out to try to correct someone, but we've really not prayed about it, we have not sought God's face about it, and we have not wept over it. Admonishment truly begins when you have concern for the person you're wishing to admonish. I've been in a number of churches, and my wife will, she would probably remember some of these things. I've had a few people come to me in the churches that I've pastored and said to me, Pastor, I believe God has called me to guard this church. I believe God is calling me to oversee this church and they tend to go around correcting people and Bible beating them with very little compassion. That doesn't work. It just does not work. I remember my first church. I was young. Oh, I was inexperienced, badly inexperienced, but on fire for Jesus. Man, I just wanted to get out there and preach the gospel, and, and uh, I wanted to be a Billy Graham. I was ready. And I would read my Bible on Sunday mornings, and I would read from the New American Standard Version, but I had a Peter, Rock, or a, I think his name was Peter Rockwood, follower. Ever heard of Pastor Rockwood from Nova Scotia? He's a King James guy. And in the middle of my reading, he would stand up in front of the whole congregation and say, "Pastor, that's heathen. That's not the right word." And he was one of those that had told me he was here to correct the church. I didn't feel very loved at the moment. And this went on for some time, several Sundays. As a young believer, I didn't know what to do. My wife said, well, I don't know what to do. And so we did it one Sunday morning, and I took all the courage I had in me from the pulpit, and I said to him, get behind me, Satan. I used those exact words. You would think he would never come back to my church again. But here he was the next week, still correcting me. And it was okay. Admonishing one another must have a deep concern for that person you're wishing to correct. Don't just do it because you think God is calling you to do it and and you don't have any love there, you don't have any compassion, you don't have any concern. Secondly, admonishment must frequently be personal. Admonishment must frequently be personal. And sometimes we pastors are guilty in this respect. We admonish from the pulpit. We've got somebody in our congregation who needs to be corrected, so we build a passage around speaking to everyone, hoping that this one person we'll get corrected. That just shows our weakness and our unwillingness to be personal with the person I want to correct. First Thessalonians, the Bible, Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, you know know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you to charge you and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Correcting is like a father with his children, taking them aside and walking with them and talking with them. It should never be a corporate admonishment. Thirdly, admonishment must be persistent if it is to be effective. Often we think if we can go to our brother or sister or sister or sister and we kind of love them and tell them and all of a sudden they still haven't changed, we often just kind of slide away. Say, well, I've done my thing. Don't want any of that stuff to rub off on me, so I've done my thing. I'm so glad the Apostle Paul didn't operate that way. It says, for three years with tears... He persistently corrected those he was writing to. Sometimes we need to go on and on. I've shared this story with you before about a young man who I went out almost every night with early in the morning after he got out of prison. Every night, years. Persistent. When we love someone and we see them making the correct, incorrect move because we've spoken to them once, doesn't mean we're necessarily finished. We need to keep our relationship. We need to accept the weaker brother. We need to find ways to honor him, but we need to continue to be persistent in admonishing. Now, remember, we're not admonishing the world. We're admonishing one another. Fourthly, admonishment must have the proper goal. Oh, sorry, pure motives. Admonishment must flow from pure motives. We must do all we can to avoid embarrassing people, even those who are guilty. This is why personal confrontation should precede public confrontation. If an erring brother or sister is admonished, private, is admonished privately and in Christian love, the need for public admonishment is not necessary. We can publicly admonish someone, and it will bear very little fruit. But because we love them, because we care for them, because we're consistent with them, the admonishment will begin to have its fruit produced. And so we have to have the proper motive. Why are we doing this? We are doing this because we are drawing a brother or sister back to the pathway of Christ, where they may have strayed off onto the narrow road or the wide road. We're directing them back to the narrow road. Our goal is for Christ. It is not for me. It is not because I'm a pastor. It's not because I can put something on my spiritual belt. It's so that I bring glory to Jesus Christ, so that He becomes the reason for my admonishment. And my eyes are focused on him, not on the wrongdoing of the person. But my eyes are, my goal is pure. Don't admonish just because you want to. Don't admonish just because you think you're helping your brother. Be in prayer and earnest tears and the Spirit of God will empower you. It's the Word of God spoken. It's admonishment spoken from the Word of God that has the power of God. And I want to tell you something here, my brothers and sisters. We need to learn to stop putting non-biblical things in here and making them biblical. Because when you try to admonish someone from a non-biblical perspective, there is no power in that admonishment. It's weak. It's waterless. It has no power, no significance. But when you admonish someone from the Word of God, the power of God, can I hear an amen in this congregation? The power of God becomes alive when you admonish from the Scriptures, not from your own personal initiatives of what you think is right or wrong. I'm sorry I get upset about that. That's my pet peeve, is admonishing people with disputable issues instead of the real issues. Admonishment, Must be proper proper motives, proper goal. As I said, the goal was to honor Christ. Finally, admonishment must be a natural outgrowth of proper proper church body functioning. It's something we must be doing with each other. As we admonish one another from our own personal growth in Christ, from our old goal to glorify God, with the power of Christ's Scripture in our heart and the truth of His Word going forward, I want to tell you, it will work. And the person being admonished knows it's for their benefit and they're loved. And it needs to be the function of the body of Christ to be doing this. Galatians 3.16, I close with that. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. My years in the pastorate and being a church leader have shown me a lot of things about myself. Not near as much as this study has. Not near as much as my study of these one another commands. And I will preach these messages till the last breath I have. Because it's when we obey these commands, people have asked me, why do you wear that bracelet? Why do you wear that bracelet? Why do I wear it? Because I look at it every morning, and it reminds me of these one another commandments, and how am I performing? Because it's the one and commandments that make us a visible Jesus to those outside of our body. We're going to sing a final hymn this morning. And as.